Blog Talk Radio. Women have the power to transform this world. We can end crime and violence if we all agree to do one thing. Share. Let's share our wisdom, share our time, share our talents, share our finances, but most of all, let's share our love. This is The Female Solution. Join me, Naima Latif, every morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as we bring you stimulating discussions about the issues affecting our lives. If you're listening online at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the-female-solution, press the blue button that says follow and get our daily topics every morning directly to your email and your smartphone. Hi, I'm Naima Latif executive producer of the Female Solution Radio Show. We invite you to call in 515-605-9325 and participate in this daily think tank as we examine the challenges we face and develop solutions that restore peace and harmony. We are global transformers, changing the world from the way it is to the way it should be. We are one. Wherever we live on this earth, we are one human family. On behalf of our team of radio hosts, I'd like to extend a greeting to all the members of our family, whenever and wherever you may be listening around the world. To our family in China, Ni Hao. In India, Namaste. In Japan, Konnichiwa. In Korea, Annyeonghaseyo. In Russia, Zdrastutsye. In Germany, Guten Tag. In Poland, Dzień Dobry. In France, bonjour. In Spain, hola. In Italy, ciao. In Egypt, athen wasalan. In Ghana, akwaba. In Nigeria, peleo. In South Africa, saobona. In Senegal, nangadef. In Kenya, jambo. In Israel, shalom. In Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Saudi Arabia, assalamu alaikum. Greetings. And may peace be upon you all.
for the soul that was called Cleopatra, so Venus, Isis, she had several names. Uh, but we're going to get to the bottom of what influences us, what sustains us when we talk about a soul who was named Cleopatra. But let's do some more drumming one more time. Let's put it in our mind and heart to bring unity to this topic and harmony, okay?
welcome. Thank you for joining me this evening for a, I think will be a very informative, a very healing, and a very unifying show tonight. We're talking about Queen Cleopatra, and more importantly, who and what sustains your mind. Because the controversy over this new Netflix docudrama is really interesting how it has divided us once again. Someone creates a, a docudrama, a picture, uh, a, a series of flashes of images, actresses, actors, and creates a historical perspective and a narrative about a figure, a soul named Cleopatra, who became queen of Egypt and all that. And we have huge division. We have huge division, not from all the way from Saudi Arabia to America. So I haven't heard a lot of uh, melanin people complaining or being negative, but everybody uh, in Saudi Arabia, not everybody, many people in Saudi Arabia and all over this uh, planet Earth are complaining that it didn't meet their expectations. Oh, my goodness. So this is a war on truth, a war on truth. When you fight a war, each side has a plan, an agenda, purpose, and all that. And that's what happened a lot during Cleopatra's reign between Rome and Egypt. This is an interesting history that I didn't know a lot about because you know why? What was influencing our minds about Cleopatra was who? Elizabeth Taylor. If you grew up as a baby boomer, you saw Cleopatra portrayed as Elizabeth Taylor, the beauty queen from Hollywood. And we didn't know a lot about the woman and the period and the wars and the times. We just saw this great, entertaining movie, and we didn't know a lot about who this person was. Now that someone has created a visual on who this person was, we got division all over the place. She wasn't the right color this time. This time around, she wasn't like the right color. Now, we know who Elizabeth Taylor was, white skin, straight hair. And all of us in the melanin community were like, well, this is a beautiful movie because it's all we get, right? It's all we get. It's all we know about Cleopatra. And no one had the money or the mind to create something different, right? But the minute someone creates something different about this very important figure, Queen Cleopatra, in our history, everybody's complaining. See, or lots of people complaining, divided. This isn't the right person. She's not black, blah, 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 blah. She was in Egypt, but she wasn't dark-skinned. Really? People, this is amazing entertainment. But we're going to break it down for you about sustaining your mind, who and what sustains. It's your choice. So I want to play for you, first of all, a little clip, a summary of who she was. This is a summary, and then we're going to get into more about what she looked like according to people who studied, and a, a little bit of history about uh, the outrage from people about choosing a woman who's dark-skinned. Really, how could you, how dare you choose a dark-skinned woman to portray an Egyptian queen? That's the, that's the uproar that seems so uh, crazy to me. After all these years, the only thing we knew about... Um, Cleopatra was Elizabeth Taylor, and we can't get over that, it seems. So let us get into, okay, let me see. There is absolutely, let us get into the queen, the spirit of Cleopatra. 
And this little clip just gives you a comparison of of duality, good, bad, wrong, right, history portraying her one way or the other, and it's up to you to decide what does this woman represent to you, and how can she bring us into unity is my question. That's, that's what we want to look at tonight. How can Cleopatra unify human beings who have been so divided by government, medical system, and the media, and even Hollywood. And here's our opportunity to bring unity because of a creative work of one or two individuals to portray this queen in a different light. Hello. Uh, that, I guess this is what we expect, some division and uh, confusion, I guess. So let's watch... Uh, or let's listen to and watch. If you are on Facebook, you can watch the city. I try and give you the visual and the audio at the same time. So let's... Order, order. So who do we have here? Your Honor, this is Cleopatra, the Egyptian queen whose lurid affairs destroyed two of Rome's finest generals and brought the end of the Republic. Your Honor, this is Cleopatra, one of the most powerful women in history, whose reign brought Egypt nearly 22 years of stability and prosperity. Uh, why don't we even know what she looked like? Most of the art and descriptions came long after her lifetime in the first century BCE, just like most of the things written about her. So what do we actually know? Cleopatra VII was the last of the Ptolemaic dynasty, a Macedonian Greek family that governed Egypt after its conquest by Alexander the Great. She ruled jointly in Alexandria with her brother, to whom she was also married, <clears throat> until he had her exiled. But what does all this have to do with Rome? Egypt had long been a Roman client state, and Cleopatra's father incurred large debts to the Republic. After being defeated by Julius Caesar in Rome's civil war, the general Pompey, sought refuge in Egypt, but was executed by Cleopatra's brother instead. Caesar must have liked that. Actually, he found the murder unseemly and demanded repayment of Egypt's debt. He could have annexed Egypt, but Cleopatra convinced him to restore her to the throne instead. We hear she was quite convincing. And why not? Cleopatra was a fascinating woman. She commanded armies at 21, spoke several languages, and was educated in a city with the world's finest library and some of the greatest scholars of the time. <clears throat> she kept Caesar lounging in Egypt for months when Rome needed him. Caesar did more than lounge. He was fascinated by Egypt's culture and knowledge, and he learned much during his time there. When he returned to Rome, he reformed the calendar, commissioned a census, made plans for a public library, and proposed many new infrastructure projects. Yes, all very ambitious. Exactly what got him assassinated. Don't blame the queen for Rome's strange politics. Her job was ruling Egypt, and she did it well. She stabilized the economy, managed the vast bureaucracy, and curbed corruption by priests and officials. When drought hit, she opened the granaries for the public and passed a tax amnesty, all while preserving her kingdom's stability and independence, with no revolts during the rest of her reign. So what went wrong? After Caesar's death, this foreign queen couldn't stop meddling in Roman matters. Actually, it was the Roman factions who came demanding her aid. 
and of course she had no choice but to support Octavian and Mark Antony in avenging Caesar, if only for the sake of their son. And again, she provided her particular kind of support to Mark Antony. Why does that matter? Why doesn't anyone seem to care about Caesar or Antony's countless other affairs? Why do we assume she instigated the relationships? And why are only powerful women defined by their sexuality? Order! Cleopatra and Antony were a disaster. They offended the Republic with their ridiculous celebrations, sitting on golden thrones and dressing up as gods, until Octavian had all of Rome convinced of their megalomania. And yet Octavian was the one who attacked Antony, annexed Egypt, and declared himself emperor. It was the Romans' fear of a woman in power that ended their republic, not the woman herself. How ironic. Cleopatra's story survived mainly in the accounts of her enemies in Rome, and later writers filled the gaps with rumors and stereotypes. We may never know the full truth of her life and her reign, but we can separate fact from rumor by putting history on trial. So history is on trial today on planet Earth because people are confused and bamboozled that a dark-skinned woman is playing the role of this beautiful, powerful queen. How dare you put a dark-skinned woman, a darker skin, she's not that dark, but she's darker than Elizabeth Taylor. So here we are, 2023, and people lost their minds because Jada Pinkett Smith, by the way, who's one of the executive producers, created a story about Cleopatra that put a dark-skinned woman in the in the uh, starring role. How dare she? How dare she do such a thing? This is what Saudi Arabians and Middle Eastern people are saying. How dare she put a dark-skinned... That's not Saudi Arabia. That's not Saudi Arabia. How dare she? And this is the whole insanity, or I would say entertainment, about this whole uh, drama that we can view on Netflix and make up your own mind. It has horrible ratings uh, for the most part on uh, YouTube I've seen and Internet because of the darker-skinned woman. And it's a different uh, entertainment. It's not just entertainment. I liked it because it brings narrators, several narrators, at least one, two, three, four, four or five people throughout this entertainment uh, video are narrating the story, giving us more history facts, more facts about that type, that time of the season year uh, on planet Earth. Okay, it's all about planet Earth. But we have people who are objecting, and 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 actually, pro, I think there's a lawsuit or a protest against Netflix actually airing a a, a doc doctor drama created by an individual with some money. Uh, to put in a darker-skinned woman uh, in the starring world. So we're going to digest that and bring some unity to this because this is a war on truth. Nobody really knows about the accuracy of what this woman looked like. However, there are statues of her, and there are some paintings of her that I guess survived that period of time. So we're going to uh, share with you tonight those people who did that research to find the paintings, the statues, and who bring us somewhat, a somewhat of a semblance of what she looked like. Now, in Egypt, you can guess for yourself the hot place, Africa, or even 
across the waters where she was born. The area had some hot temperatures. People weren't pale, that's for sure. Uh, they were darker skinned because there was a lot of sun in desert, right? So why are people protesting that a woman of darker skin is portraying this beautiful queen, this powerful queen? Well, that's what we want to talk about tonight. And if you have a comment you want to open your your mouth about it, the number is 215-383-5863, If you know anything about Cleopatra, and I say as a baby boomer and most of the friends and family I have in, in my age range who saw Elizabeth Taylor in the starry role, we didn't know beans about the history or what was really going on. All we knew is Elizabeth Taylor was in the starring role. She's a an amazing actress, a beautiful actress, and we all enjoyed all of these fair-skinned people portraying what is now being revealed were darker-skinned people. But there's this colorism problem throughout the planet. Everybody's stuck on color being an issue. And so we all are affected by it now, especially because we don't know where Cleopatra's um, uh, lineage uh, went to, where her children, uh, the people who followed after her. She did have one daughter who survived. And where is where her children? Where are her people now? We don't know. So that spirit of, of um, the spirit of, of Cleopatra, which comes in the form of Isis and Venus even, is here. It's everywhere. It depends on your choice of what is sustaining you and what is influencing your mind. And I'm suggesting that from this new docudrama series uh, video creation, beautiful creation, we can all become more unified and more powerful in knowing that there could be a queen Cleopatra in our bloodline. You know what I mean? So uh, we've got a caller with their hand up. Let me go to the caller before we go to our next audio or our next break. Okay, is that, um, I think that's Naima. Let's see, let's see who that is. Three one two seven two one. your hand is up. Did you have a comment or a question? Okay, three one two seven two one. Okay, I think that might be our executive producer, so I'm going to close her mic. Oh, she can hear me. Uh, okay, so we're going to go to um, our next audio and learn a little bit more about this beautiful queen yeah. and what she represented. Hi, I'm, I'm sorry. That, is my mic still open? To us today. And just to give you a little bit of the outrage that's going on, uh, this is what we'll look at next week. People who are just, uh, especially people who live in the Middle East, they're just outraged about uh, the portrayal of Cleopatra, not in their expectations. And so let me find the video so you can also see this, uh, this video. Egyptian outrage is what it's called. Okay. Here we go. Black Egyptian outrage, black Cleopatra. How dare they do such a thing? So if you have a comment or question, feel free. I love this young woman who does a lot of uh, 
history analysis and finding our roots. So we're going to hear from her, break down the Egyptian outrage about a, quote, black Cleopatra. Really? Could that be? Yes, it could. Yes, it could. It's possible, but we've got a war on truth. So let's get down to the truth. Here we go. So we're saying, well, was Cleopatra African? Well, yes, she was for a lot of different reasons. But now we're arguing over, well, was she black? So what do you mean by that, right? Is what I would respond. Hi, my name is Danielle Romero, and thank you so much for joining me again on my channel, where I started digging into an ancestry in Louisiana, found out we had ties kind of all over the world. So I like to dig into genealogy, ancestry, and cultural conversations kind of about identity and what it means in 2023. So my younger brother, Luke, who I interviewed for this channel, maybe you saw the interview, I'll link to it below. He is in Egypt right now. He's on a crazy trip, and he's been sending me all these pictures of him at the Sphinx and riding camels. <laughs> he grew his beard out, and he said all the Egyptians are, like, convinced he's Egyptian also, which they'll have to be another video um, because my dad's first DNA test had him at, like, 30% Egyptian. I found out that there's, like, this big controversy about a Netflix show right now, and it really piqued my interest. So there's a docudrama that's depicting Queen Cleopatra as a black queen. And I really didn't know that much about Cleopatra or what she was supposed to look like or what, like, the general consensus was. So let me know what you thought. When you think of Cleopatra, I guess when I think of Cleopatra, I think about kind of the old-school presentations of Cleopatra that we've seen in some movies and things. But I never really thought, like, are these historically accurate? What comes to mind to me is, like... <laughs> the Cleopatra Halloween wig, like the perfectly straight, um, you know, bangs, black hair, like that. What's crazy to me about this Netflix documentary, what really, what really got uh, me interested in this was that some people are really not happy about it. Some Egyptians are really not happy about it. And a lawyer has actually filed a complaint about this, and they're accusing the series of violating media laws and erasing Egyptian identity because... The Cleopatra that is in the is black, and they're saying, well, that's this is not accurate. So it's super interesting, right? So now here's where it gets really even more intriguing, though. A top archaeologist has insisted that Cleopatra was actually quote light skinned, not black unquote. But the producer of the series begs to differ, stating that Cleopatra's heritage is actually highly debated among historians. And the actress who's playing Cleopatra, Adele James, has even responded to critics by saying, quote, if you don't like the casting, don't watch the show. So I actually agree with that. I mean, I think people get get themselves kind of all worked up about these different representations in Hollywood. They like it, they don't like it, because actually a couple of years ago, there was like a similar backlash when another woman who was going to be in Cleopatra sparked claims that Cleopatra was being whitewashed. So it's like there's this claim that, okay, well, Netflix is blackwashing her. A couple of years ago, we were worried that she was being whitewashed. Like, I think there's a, a, a more underlying problem here, right? Whether or not we have the right color brown for Cleopatra's uh, Netflix presentation. So the controversy doesn't stop there, though, right? So Adele James, who is playing Cleopatra in the show, recently shared on Twitter some screenshots of abusive comments that she's received, including a lot of racist slurs. 
And I think it's a real sad reminder of how emotionally charged this issue can be for people. The war can be waged over getting this right or getting this wrong or all of those things, right? So who is Cleopatra really? Well, I I am not, this is not really the era of history that I am proficient in. So I had to do some deep dives. So please correct me if I'm wrong with what I found. But it seems that historians don't really have all of the answers about all of the sides of Cleopatra. So she was born in Alexandria, Egypt in 69 BC. She ruled until her death in 30 BC, after which Egypt fell to Rome. But the details about her ancestry, including her mother's identity, seem to be uncertain. Some historians speculate her mother may have been an indigenous Egyptian, like whatever that means, or from elsewhere in Africa. Because I think this is one of those um, interesting questions as I've looked into my uh, Egyptian DNA, and you realize, like, well, Africa is a continent. Egypt is a part of the North African section, right, of this continent. We're saying, well, was Cleopatra African? Well, yes, she was for a lot of different reasons. But now we're arguing over, well, was she black? And so, well, what do you mean by that, right, is what I would respond. Interestingly, Netflix's companion website reported that the casting of Adele James, who's a British actress who's big straight, um, as Cleopatra, was actually a deliberate nod to this ongoing conversation about Cleopatra's race. And Jada Pinkett Smith, the American actress who served as the executive producer and narrator for the series, also emphasized the importance of portraying black queens and sharing their stories, um, given the lack of representation in mainstream media. And I think there was something where Jada Pinkett Smith said that the casting of Adele James was like on purpose because Jada Pinkett Smith really wants her daughters to see more black queens represented and there's not enough. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think the problem is like if someone's not a black queen, making her a black queen kind of actually seems counterproductive. Now, I don't know what she was. So despite these intentions, the series trailer has received backlash from Egyptians. Like Egyptians seem to be freaking out about this from what I have read. They're condemning the depiction of Cleopatra as a black African, and now there's this heated debate going on about the historical accuracy of the cultural identity and representation of media, which is like kind of kind of what happens every time a movie or a show is about to get released, right? And I want to read a little bit from an article that just came out from The Spectator, and the title of it is, Why is Netflix pretending that Cleopatra was black? In this article, this person writes, then there's a the simple question of her appearance. There are several busts that are thought to portray her and also images on coins. She had a prominent nose, and her great beauty, well, may be a myth. She was the last of her line. She became indebted to factions in Rome for political support with disastrous consequences for her, hence her death. And this led to the incorporation of Egypt into the Roman Empire. So the most notorious attempt to characterize ancient Egyptian civilization as black, this person says, can be found in a book by Martin Bernal, intended Black Athena. Bernal was a sinologist, the son of a distinguished scientist and a radical socialite, J.D. Bernal. So the criticism of the upcoming docuseries uh, has, quote, made waves across Egypt. As former minister of antiquities and Egyptian nationalist, Zahi Hawass, also threw in his two cents. He told the Egypt Independent that Cleopatra was Greek, quote, meaning that she was blonde, not black. This mischaracterization was advanced by proponents of Afrocentrism, who argue, among other things, that ancient Egyptians were a black civilization. Quote, Netflix is trying to stir up confusion to spread false information that the, that the origin of Egyptian civilization is black. Hawass continued to the Egypt Independent last week. So there's actually a change.org petition calling for Netflix to cancel this release of the docuseries as it was, quote, falsifying history, and it already has 85,000 signatures in two days before it got removed. Now, this is very interesting to me because I think, I think Egypt 
has always kind of been in the crosshairs of this discussion of, well, it's in Africa, but not of Africa, or this other side of saying, well, Egyptians are black, and then, you know, and I'm not going to say, like, I have, I have authority in this, but I am actually, I am curious, especially someone who I believe, um, I mean, if 23 needs to be trusted, like, have significant Egyptian DNA, you know, it's interesting because I feel like on one hand that counts with African DNA, but Egypt also seems to be a very different thing. And so let me know your thoughts on this. Um, are you going to watch this show? And what do you think about Jada Pinkett Smith casting Adele James as Cleopatra? I'd love to just hear more about that. And thank you so much for those of you who have been supporting my work. If you are interested in um, supporting the, the con. Okay, beautiful young lady who gives us kind of a, a, a summary or a description of the controversy and the confusion going on about uh, one woman, Jada Pinkinson, giving us a very artistic representation of Queen Cleopatra with a dark skin. I'm just uh, blown away by that we're even having to uh, bring more unity to this topic because there are people who... Are, are strongly disagreeing with this presentation, even though for years everything we knew or even thought about Cleopatra's uh, physical appearance was Elizabeth Taylor. She had to look like Elizabeth Taylor. Well, now there's some truth that's coming out that maybe she didn't look quite that way, which is very important for young black girls growing up to know that there are people who look like you or who are in powerful, great positions. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, if you have a question or comment, please press 1, and I will continue with some really good, um, some really good, some really good descriptions of what Cleopatra's history means to us and what did she look like. There are people who have gone to great detail researching to find out what did this woman look like more than just the statue that was presented in the last audio or, or video. They have looked into deep into history and come up with more uh, pictures or um, drawings or statues that might give us a better depiction of this woman who lived in Egypt, a hot country that maybe she got a little tan maybe. We're going to bring unity. That's what we're here. Who or what sustains your mind? Queen Cleopatra is a living spirit today. If you want Unmuted. to uh, encourage your own royalty in your own mind. All right, we're going to be right back after these breaks. We want to, let's see, seven, two. What happens when a group of people are kidnapped from their homes, smuggled away in chains, and held captive in a foreign land where they are tortured, raped, and forced to perform hard labor by the lash of a whip and under the constant threat of death. Slavery, the African-American psychic trauma. What happened to the doctors, writers, scientists, builders, educators, and spiritual leaders from Africa's golden age? Who did they really capture and sell into slavery? Are all African-Americans suffering from psychic trauma? because of a conspiracy to hide their true identities? Do you have psychic trauma? Take the test on page 22 of the book and see. 
Order it online today at www.naimalatif.com. That's www.naimahlatif.com. And get your personally autographed copy of the book, Slavery, the African-American Psychic Trauma. Are you constantly arguing with your spouse? Are your children misbehaving and acting out? Is someone in your family abusing drugs? Have you been the victim of domestic violence? Are you grieving over the loss of a loved one? Let us help you restore serenity to your life. At Serenity Family Social Services, we understand that good mental health is a result of emotional well-being. Our goal is to assist you and your family in removing emotional distress and restoring harmony and balance to your lives. We offer individual, couples, and family counseling. I'm Howard Williams, CEO of Serenity Family Social Services. Call us today at 312-315-4820. That's 312-315-4820. Do you want to live in a world without war? Join our global peace movement. Heavenly Culture World Peace Restoration of Light transcends culture, religion, ideology, and other boundaries to achieve peaceful harmony in the global society. HWPL is committed to bringing world peace and cessation of war through peaceful dialogue between religious groups. I am Director Shin Suk Kim of the HWPL Chicago branch of North America. Join us for our next gathering. Call 773-580-1501 and be a part of the movement for world peace. Email us at chicagohwpl at gmail.com.
As for her appearance, everyone kept calling her a beauty. She had a prominent nose, sloping forehead, sharply pointed chin, thin lips, and hollow-looking eye sockets. There's a possibility she could have looked perfectly normal, but at the same time, given the lack of variety in DNA, she could have looked not quite right. If she did have major deformities, I'm sure the description would have popped up somewhere by an opponent. Perhaps she was beautiful in comparison to everyone around her who might have looked even more out of sorts. And if that's the case, then her minor deformities may have in fact made her look beautiful. Also, her sculptures may have been idealized by other artists, giving her perfectly proportional and godlike features. Even so, she was a capable ruler and seemed to not have inherited any major debilitating genes. So let's bring her back to real life and we're going to see what she's made of. Cleopatra's family originated in Macedon in Europe. Back then, Macedon was an independent kingdom, but nowadays most of its territory resides in Greece. So how did the Macedonians end up in Egypt? Well, it was the fault of Alexander the Great. He conquered the whole Persian Empire, which had territories in Africa and Asia, and when he died, these territories were partitioned by his generals, and each of these generals became kings of a region from the former empire. Ptolemy I was one of the generals. He got Egypt, and he became its pharaoh. His descendants ruled Egypt for the next 300 years, and there are nine generations between him and the last Ptolemaic queen, Cleopatra VII, the one we all know of. She and her son were the last of the Ptolemaic dynasty, to rule Egypt. Ptolemy I was from a Macedonian noble family, and he took on his wife, Berenike I, also from a Macedonian noble family. The couple had Ptolemy II, the next pharaoh. He married Arsinoe, the daughter of one of Alexander's general turned kings, and they had the third pharaoh, Ptolemy III. Their marriage did not last, and they divorced and he married his full sister, Arsinoe II. Apparently, they were in love. Ptolemy III married his first half-cousin, Bernike II, because they were grandchildren of Bernike I, who had been married before and had a kid during her first marriage. Then the couple had Ptolemy IV. From the 4th to the 14th monarch, things got quite nasty. The Ptolemies didn't really live a family life as we understand it. Rather, they lived a kind of domestic safari in which you tried to kill as many of your close relatives as you were able. Ptolemy the Fourth advisors purged any royal who might be able to oppose them. This included murdering his own mother, Berenike II. Then he married his full sister, Arsinoe III. She was murdered right after his death, again, by the same advisors. Ptolemy V, their son, actually liked his mother and sought revenge on his mother's killers and had them ripped apart. He married an outsider because there were no sisters to marry. Her name was Cleopatra I. She was Macedonian and Persian with a little bit of Greek and would be the last imported wife for a few generations. Despite this, she was still related to Ptolemy V. They were cousins through Bernike I and II sides. 
Ptolemy V and Cleopatra I had three children, Ptolemy VI, Cleopatra II, and Ptolemy VIII. Ptolemy VI married his full sister, Cleopatra II, and then they had a girl, Cleopatra III. After Ptolemy VI's death, Cleopatra II married her younger brother, Ptolemy VIII, and they also had a kid, Ptolemy VII. This kid, Ptolemy VII, was murdered as a young teen, maybe, by his father, maybe, by someone else. Either way, Ptolemy VIII then married Cleopatra III, his niece. Yes, he was still married to his sister, Cleopatra II, while he married her daughter as well. He may have married his niece to prevent her from marrying someone else who could have claimed the throne. Uncle and niece had four kids, Cleopatra IV, Ptolemy IX, who was Cleopatra's grandfather, Cleopatra Selene, and Ptolemy X. Ptolemy IX tried to assassinate his mother, or so she claimed, but he married his older sister, Cleopatra IV, and they had Ptolemy XII, who was Cleopatra's father. Note, Cleopatra IV might have not been his real mother. His birth mom could have been a concubine. Therefore, if this concubine was his real mom, which we don't know, then their new blood would have diluted the Greek lineage if this concubine wasn't Greek. But it's up for debate. Back to the story. After a few years, their mother, Cleopatra III, forced them to divorce. Then he married his younger sister, Cleopatra Selene, and they had a daughter, Berenike III. During his reign, he continued fighting his brother, Ptolemy X, for the throne. Meanwhile, their mom, Cleopatra III, kept switching sides and eventually chose her younger son because she wasn't too impressed that her eldest son tried to assassinate her, so she turned on him, got him expelled, and then her younger son became Pharaoh, Ptolemy X. Ptolemy X got the throne, and then Cleopatra Selene, the younger sister, divorced the older brother and married the younger brother, the new Pharaoh. They had a son, Ptolemy XI. Pharaoh Ptolemy X eventually divorced his sister, then he killed off his mother, then he married Bernike III, his niece, and then those two ruled. He also had a daughter with Bernike III, who was named Cleopatra V. Ptolemy X died, then his older brother Ptolemy IX came back from exile and became pharaoh a second time until his death. Bernike III just sat back, watched the events unfold, and eventually ruled alone once her uncle-husband died and then her father died. She married her half-brother cousin, Ptolemy XI, but he killed her. The people of Alexandria were upset since Bernike was favored, so they killed him. Who's left? Ptolemy XII, who was in exile with his dad, got thrown. He married his, brace with me, first cousin, also first cousin once removed, also half-niece, Cleopatra V. The couple had Cleopatra VII, who we all recognized, who, to no surprise, would marry her older brother, then he would die, then she would have romances with Julius Caesar while she married her younger brother, then Julius Caesar and her younger brother would die the same year, and then she would finally find love with Mark Antony. And that's a little bit about Cleopatra's family tree. So I hope you enjoyed this video. Thank you for watching. Subscribe for more historical recreation. Oh, if you didn't see the confusion and the
and the incest <laughs> and all the other uh, uh, details about this woman, Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt, then uh, you missed it. But I hope you re you understand uh, why we're talking about this, because now here in 2023, as I said, if you're just joining us, we're talking about Queen Cleopatra, but more importantly, we're talking about who or what is sustaining your mind, what's encouraging your mind, strengthening your mind. For years, we all we knew about Cleopatra was uh, Elizabeth Taylor playing that role, a beautiful a European woman. And many, many of us grew up, if you didn't have any other resource or, or visual, you thought about Cleopatra looking like uh, Elizabeth Taylor. So you have a woman, a black woman, decides, well, I'm going to create a new visual of Cleopatra, and I'm going to use a darker-skinned woman, which is highly possible, uh, that to play the role. And you've got controversy galore, hate galore on the actress who played the role, and people are losing their effing minds about a darker-skinned woman playing this role, saying, saying that, oh, that couldn't possibly be. That just couldn't possibly be. Uh, we know in Egypt who what a, who Cleopatra looked like. And I have another audio I'm going to share with you about how uh, how they created the face of Cleopatra. What did she look like? Well, there are a lot of experts now who can do that. They can you just if you saw the uh, video just now on Facebook, you can see that he created his own image of what she looked. Big nose. And they don't know what color her skin was because they weren't there. But as most artists do, they will portray a person in history the way their mind thinks she should be portrayed. So who or what is sustaining the mind is the question. Who or what, who or what is influencing your mind today? And what does Cleopatra's story mean to you? This is a strong woman often referred to in this docudrama on Netflix as Isis or Venus. So we have all these, we have different perspectives here on who she was and what she means today is really important in terms of how can we teach about history and the war on truth to our children. Our children need to understand history in terms of influencing their own mind, sustaining their own mind, to realize there was a lot of incest going on back then. They're in their cousins, their brothers, their sisters, killing, killing their parents, their mothers, their brothers and sisters. How can we improve? Cleopatra gives us an idea of how we can improve, um, how we can improve our lives. How can we we can how we can take on the role of a queen even because if you identify with her story, being a powerful queen, uh, and who, how she changed Egypt and brought Rome and Egypt together on many levels, but then there's always controversy, conflict, war, war. And so we have a war on truth today in 2023. And our intention tonight is to bring unity, to give you some food for thought, nourishment for your own mind, to help us all go into... Um, a more positive, optimistic perspective on this person who played that role back in the day. And the question of what she looks like is becoming the issue today. 
I just want to play one more uh, audio to give you the idea that people have researched on what did she look like, because that's the big controversy today. And people have an understanding, their own truth, about what this woman should look like. And we're here tonight to say, you don't really know. There's no way you can for sure 100% tell us what this woman looked like, because it's all theory, conject, projection, uh, and we all can, people are really guessing, but there are a few videos out there that give us a better idea of what she looked like. And so I did have one more I want to play, and then I'm going to take your calls about the, the really good research that was done to give us a portrait of, of, uh, of Cleopatra. Facial reconstructions revealed. How, how they actually come up with these facial reconstructions. This is what we want to take a look at so that we can put to rest the debate uh, on all this. So a little uh, information and narrative on what did she really look like. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Royalty Now Studios, where I reimagine famous figures from the past as modern-day people. Today's question is, what did Cleopatra look like? Now, this is the subject of much debate, mostly because of her reputation for being so beguiling a character in history. I want to walk through what we know and we don't know about Cleopatra's appearance, as well as, of course, show some of my modern-day recreations of one of her statues. So if you guys have been following me for a while, you know that I have two versions of Cleopatra already, but I did make a third that is a new version, so um, I'm excited to show that one. I'm crediting my research sources in the description below, so if you want to access those for further reading, you can go ahead. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at royalty underscore now underscore, where I post these images along with our history. So let's start with what we do know about Cleopatra. First of all, Cleopatra was mesmerizing. She was someone that could charm absolutely anyone. She threw amazing parties. She knew how to dress to impress and spoke several languages. Her intelligence was really off the charts, and this was said to be the most intriguing thing about her. So there is one account by Plutarch saying that her beauty in itself was not altogether incomparable, nor such as to strike those who saw her. So that's a really common refrain about her, and that's, I think, why people believe that maybe her physical beauty was not unparalleled, but her charm was really immense. But Plutarch also goes on to say, and some of these are a little paraphrased, he also said she had already seen for herself the power of her beauty to enchant Julius Caesar, and that she was a woman who was conscious of her personal beauty and intensely proud of it. So he is then kind of contradicting himself, saying that she, she did have this immense physical beauty as well. And Dio says, for she was a woman of surpassing beauty, and at the time when she was in the prime of her youth, she was most striking. She also possessed most charming voice and a knowledge of how to make herself agreeable to everyone. So she just had such social and emotional intelligence. What we also know is we know about her basic facial structure. And luckily we have a lot of sources. There's a lot of images of Cleopatra that still exist for us today. So Cleopatra had many coins minted in her image that still survive today, and they all bear the profile of a woman with a strong aquiline nose, full lips, and a small sloping forehead. They all have this consistency in the way that she's portrayed. Luckily for us, Cleopatra visited Rome several times, and her likeness was captured by the Roman sculptors. 
Of course, there are many depictions of Cleopatra as well in Egyptian art, but Egyptian art really is more symbolic than meant to represent the specific person. However, during the late Republic, when Cleopatra was alive and visiting there when she was with Julius Caesar, the Romans liked realistic portraiture. I also mentioned that in my video about the appearance of Octavian Augustus and my other one about Livia, his wife. So their statues tried to capture the individual characteristics of a person, more like a modern photograph. So even small things like wrinkles and asymmetries were captured. And I do believe they're a pretty reliable indicator of looks. Also, Cleopatra lived two years in Rome where she was in a relationship with Julius Caesar. So her presence was really real there, and many people became fascinated by Egyptian culture as a result of her residency. Also, she was a very visible public figure, and there were many statues of her erected throughout Rome, including an alleged giant statue of Cleopatra that Julius Caesar placed in a Roman temple, which caused quite the scandal. Cleopatra aligned herself strongly with the goddess Isis, so she would even dress as Isis in public at public parties in Rome. And Isis is essentially the Egyptian equivalent to the Roman goddess Venus. And so there were Roman statues showing her dressed as Venus with a cherub on her shoulder, and that was possibly meant to represent her son with Julius Caesar Caesarian. Some other images we have of her are three possible, although unconfirmed, frescoes of her that are found at Pompeii. And they're supposed to be Cleopatra because of the Hellenistic royal diadem that's shown. She's wearing this kind of crown that was characteristic of her dynasty, as well as this melon hairstyle that she wears in nearly every depiction of her. So two of them also include a baby on her shoulder or a boy standing over her, which, as I just mentioned, could be that um, cherub or cesarean figure on her shoulder, kind of reflecting that Venus imagery that she had in Rome proper. So there are a couple things that we don't know for sure about Cleopatra's appearance, and that is her exact ethnic background. Now, we do have some pretty good guesses and likelihoods. Cleopatra is from a really solid Macedonian Greek family. So basically, a bunch of Greeks ruled Egypt for a while during what's known as the Ptolemaic Dynasty. And they're descended from Ptolemy, who was a general and friend of Alexander the Great, and they were both Greek. Over the years, the Ptolemies became quite inbred, and that's because they mostly chose to marry other Macedonian noblewomen and men. And as soon as they ran out of those outside Macedonian noblewomen, they kind of started marrying their siblings to keep the royal blood in the family. There are also some Persian and Middle Eastern blood in her line as well. The Ptolemies kept pretty clear records of who they married um, and their children, and that's because they were ruling royals. So they, they tried to record everything that was going on in their dynasty. And so most of their ancestry is pretty easily verifiable. But there are two blank spaces in Cleopatra's family tree, and that's her grandmother and her mother. And so these aren't necessarily like the biggest mystery or anything. We, there are some very strong likelihoods and guesses, but it's more just like we've never found the exact record saying this woman was Cleopatra's grandmother and this woman was her mother. Cleopatra's grandmother was allegedly a concubine, so her ancestry is unrecorded. It's likely that she was Greek, um, just because the Ptolemies loved everything Greek and kept everything really close-knit Greek around them. But this is the first plank in her lineage, so, the, so that could have been anyone. That could have been a native Egyptian, that could have been a sub-Saharan African woman, that could have been a European woman. It's totally unknown. And the second plank is Cleopatra's mother. Cleopatra's mother was most likely Queen Cleopatra V Tryphena, and that's the recorded queen of Ptolemy, who was Cleopatra's father at the time of Cleopatra's birth. But as I said, there's just no record of it anywhere. Now, it would be kind of a big deal if Cleopatra was illegitimate. Um, it probably would have been made note of somewhere. Most Romans didn't like Cleopatra at all, and they were also not shy when it came to calling people bastards. So they probably would have mentioned it 
So I do think she was probably a legitimate um, queen of, of Egypt at that time, the daughter of the reigning king and queen. To boil it down, only 25% of Cleopatra's ethnic makeup is totally certain, and that puts her squarely as a quarter European and some Middle Eastern. And I would also consider 50% of her makeup through her presumed mother, Cleopatra V, to be fairly certain as well, just because it makes, I, I just think that the historical likelihood is kind of on the side of that. So that would make her 75% European and some Middle Eastern. Now, the other 25% is totally unknown as of now, and that's from her grandmother, who is a concubine. So do we know anything about her hair or eye color? So I'm going to work off the assumption that Cleopatra was 75% Greek and Middle Eastern. So based on that, it's easy to assume that she had the skin tone of a Greek or Middle Eastern woman. And I would say dark hair and eyes, but um, there's actually some evidence to the contrary. So I've made a few depictions of her with dark hair, and let's check those out. in our assumptions about Greek women, Middle Eastern women having dark hair, is that there are a couple of depictions of her with red hair that were made during her lifetime. There's many Greeks that have lighter hair. So I think you get the picture that people are, are analyzing, interpreting, and giving their own perspective on this beautiful soul called Cleopatra, who influenced thousands of people hundreds of years ago, and now in 2023, someone is creating division about this beautiful soul. And we want to bring unity tonight to the Cleopatra story. And I hope that if you have a chance, you'll watch it on Netflix. I, I got so much history out of it. It wasn't like a Hollywood, your typical Hollywood movie. There were narrators throughout giving you the history that went along with the picture. And so I, for one, was uh, satisfied with the presentation, and I learned a lot, and which is what I usually want to do with any. And another good movie is about Queen Charlotte. That was really uh, popular. That's really popular, and I really love that, too. So we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm muted. And we have a caller... Um, in Naima's in the Female Solution Studio as well. So, Naima, your mic is open. If you want to take the caller or do our commercials, uh, your mic is open, and we'll be right back after the messages. I'm Viata, your holistic life coach. These days, it's more important than ever to work on your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Are you consciously breathing deeply in stressful moments? Do you have a plan or daily routine to maintain balance in your awesome body? Are you struggling to be disciplined in your eating habits? When you partner with me, I'll help you develop a personalized health plan that works for your particular lifestyle. You can find out more about me at yourholisticlifecoach.com, where you can also review my three-step protocol to guide you to abundant health. That's yourholisticlifecoach.com. 
and I'm Viato. Hi, this is John Alexander. And I'm Naima Latif. Meet people like you who are making a positive difference in the world. Big difference. Watch us every day on The Media Connection at www.youtube.com slash TV. YouTube it. We'll see you soon. There are people who choose to make a positive difference in the world. Our job is to bring you their stories to motivate you to do the same. Join us each week, host John Alexander and Naima Latif, as we bring you the educators, entertainers, elected officials, religious leaders, and community activists whose works are transforming this world. Find out how you can make a difference, too. Be inspired. Watch the Media Connection. Mondays at 5 p.m. and Tuesdays at 12 noon on Cable TV Channel 19 in Chicago. and other cities, check your local cable listings. Is Monday morning a struggle to get out of bed, into the swing of things? Well, don't worry, you are not alone. Join us for thought-provoking, stimulating, and mindful conversations on higher learning with Zelda Speaks for your Monday morning mindfulness sessions on Blog Talk Radio, The Female Solution, Mondays, 7.30 until 9 a.m. Be sure and send your ideas, thoughts, comments, and suggestions. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit zeldaspeaks.com and send us your info. We'd love to have you. Experience mindfulness moments with the mindfulness slash stress relief coach, Zelda Speaks. And thanks for sharing the mindfulness moment tip of the day. Stay on purpose, stay empowered, and stay tuned to your next session of mindfulness on higher learning with Zelda Speaks. Make it a mindful day. And thanks for listening. Viara, how you doing? Hello, Viara, how you doing? I'm doing Hello. This is uh, Pianchi. And you were sounding well. Now you sound like you're outside. Uh, okay, speak up. I can hardly hear you. Yeah, I said you were sounding before the break. You were sounding good. But uh, what are these, what's the conversation about Cleopatra again? Repeat that Hello? again. I, didn't... I say, what's the conversation about Cleopatra again? There is a Netflix documentary uh, that was uh, produced by, co-produced by Data uh, Pinkett Smith. And the the main character, the main star, is a dark-skinned woman. She's actually from, from what I understand, she's actually from England, mulatto woman. And uh, Saudi Arabians and people in Egypt are upset because a dark-skinned woman is being portrayed uh, as Cleopatra when they believe she should have been portrayed as a Middle Eastern woman. Total confusion and creating division about something 
totally unnecessary in my mind. So we're bringing unity to the subject, and uh, we're we're coming to the higher consciousness that doesn't really matter what her skin color was, but she was a powerful woman who influenced quite a few people in that area in her day, and still today is working uh, right now bringing no. vision. I think it does make a difference because blacks was always complaining about their characters being whitewashed. Asians complain about that too. And that was seven Cleopatras, not just one. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Cleopatra is a title just like Caesar. And Cleopatra that that was played by Elizabeth Taylor is an accurate depiction of her phenotypically. She was Persian. Persian is present-day Iran. And, you know, uh, you got people here in this country complaining about what's going on over there in Egypt, but none of them participate nor fund any of the restoration of the artifacts, temples and tombs. If it wasn't for the Arabs, this stuff would still be under the sand. Egypt's tourist business is over a billion dollars a year where people come from all over the world to tour and visit those remains. And at that time of when the Romans was in Egypt, around 30 A.D., Egypt's hierarchy had failed about a thousand years earlier or maybe a little later. So, no, you, you should. why are you depicting somebody other than what they are or what they were, should I say? That's just terrible. It's, not, it's disrespectful. But some people have privilege, right? Well, for years, we only thought of Cleopatra as uh, appearing like uh, Elizabeth Taylor. No one really can say that that's what Cleopatra looked like. We can all make assumptions, and as I as I play, people do research and have computer drawings, and they have the technology to give us a similar representation of what she looked like. But why would we want to be divided at this time in our history about someone looking darker skinned? She's not like this woman in the in the documentary. Is totally African features with nappy hair and black skin. She just has a darker tone of skin. So we're bringing unity to the subject in the way. And I and you're right, uh, Pianki, that if you know the, the area, the present day Iran, and the fact remains she was the queen of Egypt, and the people of Egypt loved her at that time. And I don't think she could have been too unlike the people of Egypt have reigned as queen for the time she did and for to have the love and admiration that she had from the people. So it's not totally unlikely that she could look like this woman who's portrayed in this new docudrama, but they're making a big deal. And we have comments from our um, our Facebook family. Uh, Zelda says, uh, wow, never heard of megalomania until now, but we all feel the effects of it. <laughs> That's for sure. 
an excellent analysis. Truth of the matter is, it's not about black or white. It's really about green. Great distraction. This is, yeah, a great distraction, but it's also a representation of how we're being divided again over something fairly minor. And uh, Naeem Ortiz says, this controversy about Cleopatra demonstrates the extreme childishness in the human family. Why does their color even matter? It wouldn't be a big deal if Europeans hadn't tried to lie about dark-skinned Africans by saying they had no civilization before the European invasion. So, yeah, we've been given this distorted history for so long, and now when one person well, creates a dark and for Cleopatra, Persians, Persians, Persians invaded Egypt. First, you had the Assyrians. Assyrians would be present-day Iraq. Then you had the Persians, which would be present-day Iran. Then you had the Greek. Then later on, the Romans. They were all invaded and took over the government and thrones. So Cleopatra and her group, with Mark Anthony and them, would have been invaders. Why come they not looked at in that particular light? And there was no calling of that area Middle East back in those days. It was Asia Minor. Asia Minor, between Western Asia and Eastern Asia. India is an Eastern Asian country. I mean, that's just the way it is. Okay, have you watched the Netflix docudrama? No, but I've been there to the tombs and temples. Spent about nine years in Egypt going in tombs, temples, and pyramids. And I've seen those statues of Cleopatra. And she was not no mulatto. But who is me? Watch the docudrama. Have more valid uh, uh, critique because we then, in this docudrama she has several uh, historians narrating the docudrama. These people have done research and they've written books about this period of time and the Cleopatra image. So it's not like they, they put together this uh, low budget film and then threw in some uh, some data or information from uh, unauthorized or or inexperienced people. She actually has historians narrating the docudrama and who have uh, legitimate credentials, it appears. At least some of them are, one is a professor, and and several of these women have written books about uh, the history of that period, and another person, a male, I think there are at least three women and uh, one male were narrating the docudrama to give us a historical perspective we didn't get with Elizabeth Taylor's movie. So I think everybody should watch it. And then just oh, they can do that. With valid if they showing the woman anything, if they showing the woman anything and having white skin, yeah, then it's a misrepresentation. <laughs> but I would not look at it. I'm not going to look at it because I've been there and seen those things. That's me. I don't have to look in the movie. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said I wouldn't have to look at, watch the movie because I've been there myself and seen those statues and those sites. It wasn't no Polaroid instant cameras back in those days. It was painting. 
and they've done very good work with the statues. I mean, that's just how that's just how it was. Uh, now, what was black was uh, Ursula Maude Race of Teppenrau Rameshu Mary Amon, also known as Ramesses II. His wife was Nefertari, which stands for the most beautiful one. And he built a temple for her there in Abu Simbel, next to his. And uh, it's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. And her skin was dark. But, uh, you know, here's another point, too. Just because skin color don't mean kin. And to get in a time machine and go back thousands of years and try to say, oh, there we are. Hey, cousin. That's just ain't how it works. question I'm gonna leave with this why come they don't do documentaries on the ones down in deep southern Ethiopia the Jinka the women that wear saucers in her lips and saucers in their ears the low over their ears why come they don't do documentary on them they jet black we know why anyway I'll talk to you later learning 
experience of traveling to other countries or cities to grow and be in sustaining their great minds. If you can't do that, then we have people like Jada who may create the movie for you to imagine that you're there. And you don't have to uh, be ignorant, as some people are, about this whole uh, topic. And as, uh, let's see, as, as uh, Naima was saying, the question she has is, why are black people trying to claim a kinship to all that insanity? In breeding, which happened back there in uh, the colonial, in, in those days where uh, Cleopatra, Putin Charlotte, all of those people, assassination plots, murder, battling for power, what a mess. And it wasn't really black people who were involved in that. They were just human beings. As the, as the Saudi Arabians would say today, well, it was the Saudi Arabians, it was the Egyptians, they weren't black people. Really, what's the difference? They're all human idiots in, at some point. We experience uh, the insanity, and we're still experiencing the insanity of that period today, where people are doing the same in assassinations and uh, inbreeding of uh, 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 marrying their brothers, sisters, uncles, having sex with, all that is still going on today. And so when does it end? It ends when we educate ourselves, as I believe um, this docudrama is trying to do, help us see what went on during that period. How can we do better is the question. Can we do better from that period of time? That's the question we're asking tonight. Knowing what we do know, which is somewhat limited, we don't know everything, but what we do know about this queen who uh, influenced so many people, and, and from Rome to Egypt, all that whole area carries her influence and those of the people she was involved in, her children. The only person, the only one of her children that survived was her daughter, who married someone uh, who has children. And so today, that seed is still uh, alive in somewhere in the, uh, human, in the, on the uh, Earth population. Her seed is still alive. So we can learn from the history of that and grow from it. So if you have any questions or comments, press 1 or comment on Facebook. But I want to continue with um, the idea of the mind, how and why are we, uh, how and why our minds are influenced by something like this? What, who or what is sustaining your mind? And not only are we, have we been influenced by Hollywood movies, docudramas today, but I want to talk a little bit about um, the American way of life. Because when we look at something that happened in uh, Egypt, and Rome and Mesopotamia and all that. That's the European way of life. Some of that has influenced America. But one of the, the things that has influenced America the most is our diet and our food. And as I've said in other uh, blog talk shows, that's creating mental problems. And I found this really interesting um, documentary or video about Americans uh, and their diet, their addictions to food. How do we overcome the food addictions that are 
so strong in this country that are sustaining and influencing the mind of people, no matter what color they are. This is a, this is the problem we have today, is that the food in America is what is influencing us more than uh, a figure from 320 BC. Uh, and we let me see. We have a caller who's pressed one, so I'm going to take this caller because we're going to a break soon. And when we come back from the break, we want to talk a little bit about the addictions that Americans have to food. But 706-202, your mic is open. Uh, I believe that's Brother Kwame Sunor. Good evening, Sister Beata, and assalamu alaikum to Naima Lakeith, and greetings to Brother Biaki. You know, it, 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 it really says something about how much influence to the mind that they have to where they cause this much controversy over someone that wasn't Egypt, the last time I looked, is still on the continent of Africa. And so it's the whole part of why they're, they're, they're attempting to keep Cleopatra as the white queen of Egypt as to their historical. But you have to understand those dynasties of, of the Egypt's great 25 dynasties were over when she was there. And basically, she was the invaders, people that were coming in that had married into because Nubia is the mother of Egypt, Nubia. And right there in Chicago at the Oriental Museum, James Breasted, with the funding from Rockefeller, went into the continent, and there and Germany built the Aswan Dam, and they dammed up and covered up everything that was artifact of, of Nubia. And where is Cleopatra's mummy at? that they say that they have. Where's her, where's her mom? Well, in, in the documentary, they, they say she was probably cremated because they didn't... No, they didn't her mommy is in the... They, they got... That, you look it up. It's in the British Museum. They went and dug up and said they found something that they say that... And when you look at the face of it, it don't look like Elizabeth Taylor or that sister on there because she's broader broad nose and thick lips, and that's in the British Museum. That's what they And so, but I just want to finish this, because we've had scholars that shake on to Diop, when they had the, the Egyptologist conference there, he was going, willing to go and take every mummy that was in the Cairo Museum and could show you with the chemical test, because he was also a chemist, could tell how much melanin was in each one of those mummies that they had taken from the different tombs across Egypt. And so what you're doing is is they're whitening up, because Alexander and Caesar, where did Plato, Socrates, and, and Herodotus go to school at? They learned from Egypt. The whole civilization of Rome, Greeks, all of it, learn from the dynasties that were before Cleopatra. The Ptolemies had a whole set. Why not make a movie? You got Tutankhamun's grandmother, black as in black, that was Queen Ty. She was a pharaoh. She was a queen. She was a pharaoh. 
begged Steven Spielberg to make the movie The Armistice about Thank You. And the argument that they argued before the Supreme Court that slavery was against the law of God but not against the law of man, and they gave them their freedom back. Hollywood creates the, the, the genre, and Jim Brown just died. And, and, and Raquel Welch and Jim Brown upset the whole country with 100 rifles. Right. So we have, again, thank you, uh, Brother Kwame. we got to go to a break. And we have had, for all these years of my life, especially Hollywood portrayed to us what they believed was true. But now, I think because of the divine energy of 2023, the truth is being revealed as, long as, as well as evil is being revealed. And it's up to us to sustain a healthy mind by knowing in our intuitive self, in our consciousness state, what is true and what is not true. It's so important that we teach our children, our grandchildren, truth about history that will help them sustain a powerful uh, and, and healthy mind. So, Naima, your mic is open if you want to play the last group of commercials, and we'll be back to talk about another uh, element of our mind control. Have you ever dreamed of going to exotic places, meeting fascinating people, enjoying uplifting music, and spending nights in a luxurious hotel? Do you look forward to a relaxing vacation where you can walk along the beach or sit in a quiet park and enjoy the sunset? or sunrise. Whether you're flying around the world or driving across the country, we will share travel tips that will help you stay safe while you enjoy the journey. Join me every third Saturday of the month, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, and move around with Deborah here on the Female Solutions Show. Call in and comment 515-605- Nine three two five, and press one to speak. Hi, I'm Mama Joy, and I'm Reverend Rosemary. Join us every second Saturday of the month, twelve noon to two p.m. Central Time. Here on the Female Solutions Global Radio TV Show for Neighborship of Joy. We'll have powerful conversations inviting women to walk in the light. So call in 515-605-9325 and press 1 to speak to the host. You can also join us live on the Female Solutions Facebook page and YouTube channel. So see you on the second Saturday on the Neighborship of Joy. about finances, family, health, jobs, relationships? Are you in pain? Do you feel stuck? If you answered yes to any of these questions, help is available. Don't worry, you're not alone. It's part of the human process. You only feel this way because you haven't mastered the voices in your head. No hype, 
just down-to-earth, solid, workable tools and techniques that you can practice daily. It's really food for the soul, whether you want to learn how not to worry about anything, reverse type 2 diabetes, publish a book, promote your product or service, or just make extra money. To take advantage of the deal of the day, go to zeldaspeaks.com or call 312-409-6619. Mention promo code The Female Solution and get free shipping. That's zeldaspeaks.com or 312-409-6619. Stop worrying today. Visit zeldaspeaks.com.
In stressful times, people turn to snacking for comfort. And COVID-19 has transformed kitchens across the U.S. into giant vending machines. So has COVID-19 put an end to the shift to healthier snacks? Frito-Lay got its start in the midst of the Great Depression in 1932. For $100, Charles Elmer Dean purchased a recipe, a handheld potato ricer, and over a dozen retail accounts from a corn chip manufacturer. Selling corn chips out of his car by day and cooking out his mother's kitchen by night, Doolin soon expanded to the family's garage and later to the West Coast. He named the business the Frito Company. That same year, Herman Lay started a snack food delivery company in Nashville, Tennessee. By 1956, Lay had more than 1,000 employees and was the largest manufacturer of potato chips and snack foods in the U.S. The two men joined forces in 1961 to form the Frito-Lay Company and quickly made plans to expand even further. In 1965, Frito-Lay merged with Pepsi-Cola to form PepsiCo, combining the soft drink giant with a salty snack maker. The union made Lay's the first nationwide potato chip brand. By 2008, Frito-Lay had a 57% share of the U.S. potato chip market. The company kept busy churning out new recipes. In 1966, Frito-Lay launched Doritos Tortilla Chips. In 1981, the Tostitos brand. And in 1992, it added flaming hot flavoring to the menu. Well, this is, in fact, the number one product in spicy snacking. Full, full stop. Flaming hot as a flavor. And Americans were consuming snacks like never before. From the late 70s through the late 2000s, the number of people who had at least one snack a day in the U.S. surged from 59% to 90%, and the amount of snacks they consumed doubled. Frito-Lay relies on a mix of clever marketing schemes, social media influencers, and celebrities. In 2019, the company enlisted Chance the Rapper and the Backstreet Boys. The 2020 advert starred hip-hop artist Post Malone. We have, uh, we have brands that are really about um, entertainment and, and, and actually enjoyment um, in, in the case of Doritos. Uh, and that's what we've leaned into. We want to make sure that we take a moment to remind people that it's, it's great uh, to smile and to have a little bit of levity in, in, in life. And since the start of the pandemic, Frito-Lay has made moves out of the grocery store aisle as well. In May 2020, PepsiCo launched Snacks.com for consumers to purchase items directly from the company. The beauty of this company, and certainly in a healthy category, is we own the value chain seed to shelf. And so I think, you know, the, the, the facts of what this company was built on, from making product, moving product, selling product, owning that value chain seed to shelf, allows for so much flexibility and agility uh, that, you know, not just in a pandemic, but over the last 10 years, has allowed us to be pretty nimble. According to a 2020 study by Mondelez International, about 90% of adults surveyed said COVID-19 has enticed them to snack more. About 60% of people said snacking will be their new normal after the pandemic ends. That trend has added a boost to the bottom line of most of the biggest makers of snacks, including Hostess Brands, Hershey, Kellogg Company, Mondelez International, Nestle, and of course, Frito-Lay. Sales of snacks in North America reached $133 billion in 2020, 7% higher than a year earlier. With Americans turned to their kitchen pantries for relief, Hostess, the maker of Twinkies and Ding Dongs, saw a net revenue surge 15% in 2020 to $1 billion, due in part to the strong performance of its Mortman cookies and Hostess brands. In the morning, in the afternoon, and at night, and you're exactly right, 90% brand awareness and consumers love us. 
snacking trends and indulgent snacking, both in the morning and afternoon, were on trend before COVID, uh, and it's just accelerated the in-home behavior. Prior to the start of backyard barbecue season and summer camping trips, Hershey saw a surge in the sale of milk chocolate packs used to make s'mores. Kellogg's North American Snacks Division, which includes Pringles and Cheez-It, had organic growth of 3.3% in 2020 in sales of $4.4 billion. Mondelez International, maker of Oreo cookies and Ritz crackers, saw net revenue increase by 2.8% to $26.5 billion in 2020. With a drop in demand for impulse purchases at the checkout counter, Nestle, the maker of Kit Kat, saw weaker demand in its chocolate division offset by some momentum in the sale of baking products. But it may have been Frito-Lay that saw the biggest gains. With families stuck at home binging on Netflix and snacking on potato chips and popcorn, Frito-Lay North America had 2020 net revenue of $18 billion, 6.5% higher than a year earlier. We really delivered strong growth in the fourth quarter. 5.7% was a terrific number. Uh, the stack group business grew five and a half. The beverage business actually grew a little bit faster, about six. Our big brand, our biggest brand like Lay's, Potato Chips, continues to do very well. Um, Tostitos is a brand that has probably accelerated more than most, and I think it's this nature of people um, having small gatherings. There's less big parties. Mexico CEO Ramon LaGuarta said in a fourth quarter 2020 earnings call that while the snack business lost a slice of its high profit away from home sales, the category saw an increase in both at-home consumption and multi-pack snacks. The company also strengthened its place at the top of the savory snacks category with new product launches. So I'm going to cut that off and ask ourselves, are you addicted to junk food? Are you addicted to snacks? Because over the past three years, that's what's happened. It's almost it seems intentional that along with this pandemic, uh, there was a an, uh, conversation, probably a meeting to increase the addiction of the people on planet Earth by putting us in this fear uh, atmosphere over the last three years about a virus and so forth. So now we, I think we have to, or we should deal with the addictions more than anything, because, uh, I'm sure they have other pandemics, uh, down the pipeline. So overcoming food addictions is, should be more the focus than complaining about a entertainment docudrama that educates us about our history. And that's my point in talking about the food addiction. So here's a, a little bit of education on overcoming food addictions. We all need to be more conscious of addictions and bringing our minds into a place of health, balance, consciousness. So how do we overcome the food addictions is the question. Is it possible to overcome food addiction? So the last time in our video under the main title of food addiction, we showed you in a few minutes that food addiction is real and why certain foods can easily become as addictive as drugs to our brain. Also, we explained the basics about the etiology of food addiction. Let's go deeper this time. And after a bit of scientific terminology, we will move on to answering the question, why overcoming food addiction forever is achievable for anybody. We already mentioned that our brain has its own drugs. Hormones like dopamine, serotonin, oxycodone, etc. Most of external drugs like alcohol or heroin just stimulate your brain to excrete those hormones in large amounts. So you feel a heavenly feeling. 
but those hormones are important in surviving because they are part of a reward system. So for example, when you eat or have sex, your brain excretes those hormones so you feel good and have a desire to repeat the behavior so you could extend your family line or eat next time, which allows you to survive. That reward system is placed in the oldest part of the brain, and altogether, it is called the corticobasal ganglia thalamic loop. But lots of people misuse that reward system and start to overeat, get trapped in sexual addiction, gambling, gaming, etc. On the other side, habits like working out also excrete dopamine. But unlike addiction, it's a healthy habit and helps to keep you away from bad habits by giving you the same amount of hormones via a healthy way of getting them. It is easier to form a bad habit like overeating and get pleasure from it rather than to go out running or hiking with friends. But on the other side, you start to feel depression, anxiety, guilt, and start having self-esteem issues. Also, you get more and more addicted. Just because it is easier to get your dopamine fixed to feel better, it is a vicious cycle. So when you realize and admit to yourself that you have a problem, in most cases, it is too late to just shrug it off without withdrawal. Yes, you feel withdrawal effects, just like on any other drug. You can also be addicted to working out, for example. After long periods spent in a gym or running, you feel itchy when you just sit around all day long doing nothing. Now your body craves moving, but because of the brain use it or lose it system, after some time you feel comfortable just sitting in your sofa and compensate your dopamine and other hormone levels with food. Suddenly, running is too hard to get those high hormone levels. Your brain just needs dopamine for your body to function normally, and it is easier to get it at home overeating in front of a TV without actual effort. Because of that, your brain thinks that you are doing a good thing, when in fact you are doing a very destructive thing. This is called a pleasure trap. But because of the use it or lose it system, there is a proof that it is possible to receive these pleasure-oriented hormones in other activities that are much healthier than your current vice. So this way you will feel better with less depression, anxiety, and other bad feelings. And at the same time, you will need less food to compensate these hormones once you get used to some of the new rituals and habits in your life. This will improve the quality of your life overall. In the next whiteboard video under the title of food addiction, we will talk more about these healthy habits and how to make new habits that will make it easier for you to fight food addiction. Soon, on mobile app stores, a new and revolutionary mobile app will be released whose mission is helping people beat their food addiction and other eating disorders once and So oh, there are solutions available if you recognize that you're eating like the typical standard American diet, junk food, junk food, and more snacks and more snacks. And we want to just encourage you tonight to find alternatives to sustain your mind and strengthen your mind and your body. Brother Kwame Sanor, if your mic is open, you wanted to, you had another comment. Are you there? You're, are you on mute? I thought I saw it. Yeah, okay, speak it up. What I'm sharing is, and I thank you for that food addiction, because what's happening is 
of Americans and, and the different nations are now coming together, and they're, they're bringing their elders and the people together. We're having a gathering next weekend in Illinois with the gathering of the elders. But what we're doing is looking at next, we're looking at food sovereignty. And what we're looking at is the way sovereignty, because food, we, when we colonized here, they colonized the food. They put them on reservations. They gave them rations. They did not let them eat in the way that they once did when they, when they were here on this land. And so what they're doing now is, is establishing, teaching food, food foraging. Uh, acorn, flour, you mean acorn, that you eat acorn. The indigenous people saying you're, you're digesting the, the energy of a tree. And so what they're looking at is the foods and berries and the herbs that are now being found that, are, that we once ate. Being able to be food is your medicine overstood as indigenous people and even the people on the continent knew that there were certain foods that were for certain reasons that we ate by season. And what you're looking at is overstanding how to access the pillars. There's seven pillars for food and then there's four pillars for food. And the, the one is the availability, the utilizing, and the stability. What we had once upon a time on this turtle island and the part that we're looking at is that the divine intelligence on Turtle Island now is, is in, in controversy or is, is bursting AI because this is all this is doing is that they're attacking us at the cellular level. And what we're seeing is, is that we have the food in nature being able to eat that which is coming from, from the land. And the native says we should not eat anything that is not in its own package. We should not eat anything that is not in its own package. So apples, oranges, fruits, vegetables, and things you find are in their own packaging. They design and pay millions of dollars to design packages with colors and different things in order to entice you. In order to entice you, and that's what you just played, the billion-dollar industry of that potato chip but the other part is, is that they know how to harvest that and help to deal with diabetes, how to deal with obesity, and all of these things that we're now going through, going back and looking at how did our grandparents do. And this is what we are looking at, being able to say, okay, this is an addiction, and we're, we're having a conference in, in, in September in Phoenix all addiction conference, and we talk about these addictions because I'm in recovery. And the biggest thing that we're now looking at as far as addiction is Wi-Fi addicts, Wi-Fi addict children that we have. These are going to be the next addictive. They, they got the food. Now, guess what? You're going to have children that's addicted to, to, to this Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Technology, tablets, the phones, you got it. Thank you so much for that reminder. Uh, please keep bringing that up uh, for the uh, food sovereignty uh, event that you're involved in because it is a serious problem, uh, the addiction in general. Yeah, 
Okay, you did send it to me. I don't know why I didn't get any. I can see your text on my laptop, but they're not on my phone. I have to reset my phone. But thank you. I'll share that with others. So we're at the end of our show. Thank you all for joining me tonight. Please share this with those who are in need of a little power of being a queen like Cleopatra and taking on the positive attributes that she represents. Doesn't matter what color she was. That's the whole point of this show tonight. Doesn't matter what color she was, but we can use these types of docudramas for those children in the urban areas who have low self-esteem about their color and they're doing crazy stuff with their hair and all that to remind are. And sustaining our minds includes being free of addictions and being powerfully anointed to be the queens and kings that we were created to be. So we'll be back tomorrow with Zelda, uh, our Monday morning host. Join us on The Female Solution. And I'll be back
Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.